0: uh this is going to be our last sermon in the book of mark and so i've got it marked that we started this in april of 2020 so it's going to be just shy of 2 years and uh, i don't know whether that makes me short or long-winded i don't i don't know i've i've heard longer i guess but um so we're going to finish that this morning the next week uh, i think we're going to start a study through the book of jude now that's only one chapter uh, I think it's uh, around 24 verses, so maybe three, four sermons max. And y'all are thinking, yeah, like maybe 15, 20, but, but, uh, we're, yeah, there we go. Two uh, years <laughs> There you go. But uh, we we have seen that uh, Mark looks at Jesus as a suffering servant as prophesied in the book of Isaiah, most specifically 53. And um, we, we've seen over the past few weeks, we looked at the fact that Jesus had been crucified, and He's now risen again. We looked at the uh, why the resurrection matters last week. And uh, Mark doesn't go into nearly as much detail about the... Uh, you know, Jesus' activities after the resurrection. Of course, we know that Jesus, when He rose from the dead, He walked the earth for 40 days. It wasn't like He just rose from the dead, said hey to His disciples and ascended to the Father. I mean, He took some time. He was there 40 days. He went in and out of Jerusalem. He was in Galilee. I mean, this was not done in a corner. And so there's a lot of things that He did after He rose from the dead. Mark is not detailed on that. And I believe there's a reason for that. I believe He is honing in on the focus of this text, what we're going to look at this morning. And uh, you know the simple cut and dry message that Mark is giving us here is that Christ is risen, now what do we do about it? And so that's what we're going to look at. Let's read our text here, Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 14. It says, Afterward he appeared, talking about Jesus, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, "'Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay their hands on the sick, and they shall recover.'" So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere the Lord, working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, thank you for your word. I just pray that you fill me with your holy Spirit and God that uh, you would enter me as sin and self. Help my mind as it's kind of scattered this morning. Do pray for Leah as she's not here. Comfort her, comfort those that are sick and can't be here. Lord, for Kevin, Uh, God, for Dan and Jean, and just those that are struggling with so many different things right now, would you just comfort them? Uh, God, speak to us. I pray that you would convict our hearts. God, that we would be better witnesses for you, that we would be committed to share the gospel with our loved ones, our family, our neighbors, and coworkers. God, that we would always be quick uh, to speak of Your goodness and to glorify and honor You. Lord, just help me as I try to preach, and we'll thank You for it. In Christ's name, I praise things. Amen. Wesley, can you turn me down just a bit so I'm a little bit hot? Um, so in this text, uh, we, we obviously remember this as the Great Commission. That's exactly what it is, where God commissions us, not just His disciples, but us, all of His disciples, to go into the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. And so we, you know, this verse, this text is right after the resurrection and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so what do we do about that? Well, we go and tell. Why why should we preach the gospel to every creature? That's what we're gonna deal with. But before we get to that, I wanna kinda of set that to the side for a minute. I feel like there's certain texts that have been taken so horribly out of context. I feel a need to do a little house cleaning before we even get to the central text because if I don't do this, I, I kind of want to get this out of your mind so we can focus on what the text is actually saying to us. And that would be, of course, verses uh, 17 and 18. Uh, verses 17 and 18 have been so butchered, abused, misinterpreted, it's really sad. I actually, uh, There's actually a church in northern Alabama who's made it on several... Uh, national TV stations and programs because they handle snakes. They, you know, it's one of these faith things. Uh, let, me, let me read this and I'll get this out of the way and then we can focus on what we need to focus on. Uh, verse <coughs> uh, 17 says, "...and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover." Now, I just want to give five minutes on this, five to ten minutes, so you'll understand this. And then that way when you come across verses like this, it won't confuse you. But this particular thing that Jesus says to his disciples is speaking of a specific period in history. It no longer applies to us today. And I'm going to show that clearly from Scripture. Now, this particular time that I'm talking about is the transitional period in the book of Acts. Uh, this period of miracles by men in Scripture are the exception and not the rule. And I want to put a pin here. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a full-blown cessationist. I don't believe that you will see uh, the things that we're seeing in the book of Acts. You won't see those today. Now let me say this. People hear that and their first question is, oh, so you don't believe God does miracles anymore. That's not what I'm saying. I absolutely believe God can and still when He chooses to, will perform miracles. But, here's the difference. If that happens, it's going to be God doing it through answered prayer and not by men doing it through supernatural powers. That's an important distinction to make. Uh, The the time in Acts was a transitional period. And what you'll find in Scripture is uh, the times of miracles by men, they're temporary, they're the exception, not the rule, and they always were for the purpose to confirm God's men and God's message. You see two of these periods in the Old Testament and two of these periods in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you see it with Moses. He performed miracles. Well, why is that? To confirm that he was God's man with God's message, which was, Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. Uh, We also see it with Elijah and Elisha, the prophets. God wanted the people of that wicked day when Ahab and essentially Jezebel was ruling... He wanted the people to know that even in this time of apostasy, there's my men right there to confirm God's man and God's message. Uh, The third time we see this is the time of Christ and the apostles. Uh, The apostles in the book of Acts. Jesus has ascended to heaven. They're charged with uh, getting the gospel out to the world. They don't have a New Testament. How do they do this? How do the people know that they're really of God and that Jesus was really uh, risen from the dead? Well, through signs and wonders, through power. They had a 100% uh, healing ratio. Nobody, you know, they never went to a person during that time and w- failed to heal somebody. They raised the dead. Peter had so much power that when he passed by somebody, just his shadow going o- passing over them would heal them. You don't see that today. And I don't care what anybody says. They can claim to be apostles. They can claim to have these powers. They are liars. You will never see them going to the hospital. You're, you'll never see them do anything miraculous at funerals because they can't do it. And I tell you what, I'm fixing y- Y'all are getting me fired up already this morning. <clears throat> y'all need to amen faster or something. I don't know. But if there were real apostles alive today, I'm going to say they're the most selfish idiots that would ever live on this planet. They're the most selfish scum of the earth that's ever walked on planet earth. Because with our technology, they could visit every hospital in the world within the matter of a few years. Where are they at? They don't exist. And what I always hear from people that believe that nonsense is they say, well, it happens in other places. We don't have enough faith here in America. A couple of things about that. In the book of Acts, it was never about the faith of the one being healed and the faith of those that were doing the healing. Uh, I think about the the man right there at the temple, the, the crippled man. Peter looked at him, and said, "Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto thee. Rise and walk." There was no well. If you just have enough faith, um, and so, but also too, what a cop out! What a cop out to say, "Well, it happens in other places what, that we can't see and that we can't verify." That's a little convenient. And so it was a temporary time period. But then the fourth time that we'll see this, and we won't be here for this, is in the tribulation period after the church has been raptured out. God is going to send two witnesses. I personally believe it's Moses and Elijah. We'll look at that more in our Revelation study on Wednesday night. But they're going to be able to perform miracles. Why? Because in that transitional time, that different time period, that He's going to give them powers to be signed unto the Jews. So this was always... Uh, temporary, and so uh, I want you to don't be be confused by that. Uh, There's been so much money made off that nonsense. So many peddlers that uh, take people like Benny Hinn. That guy hadn't held a single person in his lifetime, and yet he's staying in $30,000 per night hotels in Dubai to go tell people in a third world country that don't have a dime to their name to give everything so they can get a miracle. There's a special hot corner in hell or somebody like that. And uh, I stand by that. I'll I'll go toe-to-toe with anybody on that. And uh, if you don't believe that, you ought to look up Benny Hinn's nephew, Costi Hinn, who got—he used to work for Benny. Now he's saved out of that mess, and he exposes every bit of that. Everything they did behind the scenes, all the nonsense to cover up the fact they can't heal anybody, it's straight out of hell. It's the doctrine of Balaam, where somebody uses a supposed gift of God to make money off people. It's wicked, and I won't, I won't support it. Um, I won't even be nice about it, if y'all can't tell that by now. <laughs> um, and so we, we see that, and, so, um, and this is another important thing, even from our text. Mark chapter 16, this is very important language here. Look at the very last thing that's said here. Verse 20, it says, And they went forth, the disciples, they went forth and preached everywhere the Lord, working with them and confirming the word with signs and wonders following. You see that? The signs and the wonders were to confirm God's Word and God's man. And by the time you get to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Hebrews looks back, whereas this saying in Mark looks forward, uh, Hebrews looks back and said that they did, past tense, confirm the Word with signs and wonders. Looking, uh, Mark's looking forward to the time of Acts, and Hebrews is looking back to the time of Acts, and so it was temporary. And by the way, all these things that we just read in verses 17 and 18, they happened during the time of Acts. Uh, some of the believers spoke in tongues. Certainly, uh, the apostles did. But understand, this was never uh, unintelligible gibberish. It was. If you look in the Acts uh, chapter two. Uh, the apostles clearly spoke in language, earthly human languages that they did not know God gave them that ability because people were there for Pentecost out of every nation under heaven. And so the purpose was to preach the gospel to people in their own language so they might understand it has never been some kind of supernatural, holy ghost, angelic nonsense. It has never been that way. Um But they did. They they also cast out devils. They healed the sick. By the way, the Apostle Paul, if you'll remember, uh, when he was reaching inside the fire, he gathered the wood and he reached inside uh, and the snake bit him. Remember that? The venomous snake. And he was unharmed by that. And the barbarians saw that. And they knew that he was God's man with God's message. So that really happened. Uh, You don't find this in the Scripture, but several... Uh, historical and traditional sources say that somebody tried to poison Thomas and when he went to drink his drink that had been poisoned and nothing happened to him, they knew that he was of God. And so i got news for you folks. If you get bit by a rattlesnake and he releases poison in you, if you don't get to a hospital, you're in trouble. Uh-huh. you in trouble. I saw a documentary not long ago from a church in Kentucky where the pastor got killed because he was handling a snake and got bit and he died. And guess what? His son is doing the same thing. <laughs> Stepping into his footsteps. What did Einstein, Einstein say the definition of insanity was? Is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. It's so sad that somebody could take a Bible doctrine so horribly and it literally cost somebody their life. Bad doctrine hurts people. And, and so we, we see that these things were fulfilled. If you drink poison... I'm going to be preaching your funeral. So that's what it was for that time period. It doesn't mean that Jesus was wrong, and it doesn't mean that we can do these things today. It was for a specific time period. And now that we have the Word of God, we don't need that anymore. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9 and 10, it says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. We have that which is perfect. So all of those things that were done in part, that were done temporarily, have been done away with. Uh, But the Word of God is confirmation in and of itself. And even even, uh, toward the end of their life and ministry, we see examples where Paul couldn't even heal his friends. We see two examples where Paul could not even heal his friend. Why? Because that time period was over. We had the Word of God. Um, We see, in fact, the last uh, miracle that was performed by a man in the Word of God was in Acts 28 when Paul healed the father of Publius. So understand this. I just wanted to get that, and I had no idea I was going to get that fired up about it. But but I don't want you to be distracted by these verses. I want you to understand it. God, yes, He still can work miracles through prayer when He chooses to do so, but no more miracle workers. And that's so important that we not get deceived by these snake oil salesmen. Um, So now getting to the actual text, um, why should we preach the gospel to every creature? This is so important. I've got uh, just a few things this morning and we'll be done. But why should we preach the gospel to every creature? Well, number one, because we have a command to do so, the command. Look at verse 15. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So Jesus, right before He ascends up to heaven, the last thing that He charges His disciples with is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That command is relevant in every generation. It wasn't just to those disciples. And so we have a command. Why preach the gospel? Because the King of kings has commanded us to do so. We have a command and a commission from the King. And we live in such a pragmatic society that people don't want to do anything unless there are immediate and gratifying results. And so many churches today, they lick their finger and hold it up to see which way the cultural winds are blowing in order to find out what they need to do next. I mean, they're literally trusting and looking to the opinions of sinful people to be their guide as to what they do in the service of God. Isn't that silly? I'm going to find out from the opinions of wicked people how I need to please God. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard of? How about we just find out what he said is to how to please him, and if people don't like it, I mean, they can just like it, lump it, take it across the street and dump it. I mean, I don't care. Listen, I wish everybody liked me. I did. I do. I mean, who, who wants to be unliked? I'm not striving to be unpopular. I just want to please God. He's already told us what he wants us to do. And that's to go in the world and uh, preach the gospel to every creature. And so, you know, even um, as I've said before, as I've been witnessing or doing any kind of street ministry or open-air preaching or whatever the case may be, I always, always, it never fails. I've always had people come and most of them claim to be Christian and say, well, what are your results? And I'd always say, well, 100%, which always confused them. And I love that. And they say, well... Everybody's getting saved? Well, no, I'm being obedient to my king. I'm doing what he's told me to do, 100% success. I'm being obedient. And they need to read their Bible to understand that Isaiah never saw any converts, yet he preached. By the way, they sawed him in half from his groin to his head. Never had a convert for it either. Not at least that we read about in Scripture. Well, that sounds like results. I bet the world would call that a successful ministry. No converts and getting sawed in half. Let's all sign up for that. Jeremiah, as far as we know, never saw any converts, yet he preached. He was persecuted in the midst of all of it. That's why they call him the weeping prophet. That and the fact that he knew that even after preaching, God was going to send judgment, and he did. That's why the book of Lamentations, Lamenting Over the Judgment of God, it was written by Jeremiah. Um, We see many people in Scripture that didn't seemingly have a successful ministry, but they did because they had a commission to do so. Why should we go and tell? Because the risen king of kings has told us to do so. Uh, he's coming back and the whole world needs to know it. Because we have a mandate from the king, we don't even need any more reasons. I could, I could shut my Bible right now and we have enough reasons to go share the gospel with the lost and dying world because Jesus told us to. We don't need any more reason, but we've got some. So let's go to point to Sorry to get you all excited. We're not shutting our Bibles. We're not going home right this second. I got two more, okay? We need to go and tell because the king commanded us to do so. But secondly, uh, we need to go and share the gospel and preach the gospel because of the condemnation. Number two, the condemnation. Look at verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, let me, something else I got to get out of the way, a little house cleaning. When I grew up in the Church of Christ, this was one of their core verses to try to teach that uh, you know, bat- water baptism is what saved you, that baptismal regeneration. And I they, and they always say it like this. Um, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. See, you had to be baptized to be saved. And I always say, listen, there's not even a period there. There's a semicolon there. What's the rest of it say? But he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, if it had said, he that believeth not and has not been baptized shall be damned, that might be something a little bit different. It doesn't say that. Here's what it's saying. If you're really saved, if you really believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I've never seen a truly saved person have a problem getting baptized. And by the way, I think we've kind of lost the meaning of baptism. I mean, this is so convenient. I love having this here. It's awesome to be able to do it inside in the comfort of our own church, and we it's a joyous a case, a good thing. But, uh, you know, back in the day, it would cost somebody. I mean, if you were a, a Jew that had converted to Christianity, and then on top of that were baptized in the river for everybody to see, you're literally thumbing your nose at them and saying, I'm going with Jesus. So it was a, I mean, it, if you're going to believe in Jesus Christ, it had to mean something. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. We're not walking around, you know, you know showing our Christian ID. And, you know, it means something. I'm identifying myself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm doing it in a public form. It means something. And if you have been saved, if you know the Lord, and you haven't been scripturally baptized, you need to be. Because He commands us to be. It's a public identification with Christ. And even in the Baptist church... Um, you know, if you, haven't, if you don't have a testimony of salvation, haven't been scripturally baptized, you're not even supposed to be a member of a church. This is just biblical stuff. And so um, I do want to say that. But, but here's what I really want to focus on because I don't want you to be distracted by that. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. That is the strongest language of condemnation that you will see anywhere in the Bible. And we ought to have that last phrase, we ought to have it etched in our minds, we ought to have it in our hearts, we ought to think about it when we go to bed, we ought to think about it when we get up, we ought to think about it when we clock into the job, and that is that he that believeth not shall be damned. Non-believers shall be damned. The wrath of God abideth on them. They're one heartbeat away from hell. One breath, one accident, one tragedy away from hell. There's no greater condemnation in the Bible. Uh, You know, people have an eternal soul that will either spend eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell in torment, in the judgment of God. Because God must punish sin. He cannot allow sin to go unpunished. He can't wink at it. He certainly can't allow it into heaven, and I am thankful for that, because heaven would be just like it is here. and And so, I want you to understand that um, it, it means condemned means to be condemned in such a way as to make an example of somebody. And when God puts somebody in hell, and by the way, I, I hear people understanding what they're saying. I'm not throwing stones, but you know that that you know God doesn't send anybody; they send themselves. I, I get it, but yet you know God is the one that sends people to hell. Jesus said, don't fear them that can just destroy the body. Rather, fear Him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. God is the judge. He is the one that issues sentence. He is the one that uh, casts people in hell. And understand that hell is not... It's not just a place of fire. It is now It is a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. The fire is never quenched. It's a horrible place. It's a place of outer darkness and nobody wants to go there. Uh, But it's not just a place where that stuff is kind of just happening on an island apart from God. No, it's happening because of God. It is the judgment of God. And you say, well, that seems so mean. How could a loving God do that? But listen, you cannot have true love without justice. You cannot have love without justice. And we understand this. I've, I think I've used this example before, but people understand this when it applies to them. When they feel the injustice, they understand this. You know, if you had a, if you had a family member that was brutally murdered or raped or whatever the case may be, and you, know, you went to court and uh, the prosecution presented all the evidence, and that person was guilty as sin. They had DNA and video and everything guilty. And the judge says, well, you know, I, I know you're guilty. You've got all the evidence against you. But I'm so loving that I'm just going to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to let you walk out of here free. Is that a very loving thing to do? Well, but he let him go. It's, so, it's just so loving. We all understand that concept, don't we? God is not going to do that. He is not going to say, I'm just going to let you. I'm so loving. I'm just going to let... Just, just come on in heaven. I'll cover my eyes while you... It's not going to happen, friend. He's too loving to do that. He's too just to do that. And here's the scary part. We understand it when it comes to heinous crimes like that. But what most people fail to understand is that we are every bit as condemned before a holy God. And God sees us like that murderer. Even if we haven't killed anybody. God sees us as that rapist, although we may not have done such a horrible thing. He is so righteously angry toward us and our sin. That's why the lost man, the lost woman, that's why the wrath of God abides on them. And so we have to understand this. I mean, think about it, folks. Think about this. Without Jesus Christ, people die and they go to hell. They go to hell. And the only reason that they will ever be let out is on that day that... God calls all the dead, small and great, before His throne. And they go before that great white throne judgment, and they are not being judged based on whether you know, they're going to be let out or not. They're not going to get out. It's based on their judgment in the lake of fire. They will, they will have their day before God. They will have their day in court, so to speak, where they get to say, uh, well, why didn't I make it in? And, and, and Matthew 7 speaks to this. There will be people that said, uh, say, Lord, Lord... Have we not done many wonderful works in your name? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not do this and do many mighty works? You know what the problem is? They're saying, I deserve to be in heaven because of what I did. That's their problem. And they're all going to be cast into the lake of fire because their names are not found, written in the book of life. Our loved ones, this is horrible to think about, it's true. Our loved ones will go to hell without Jesus. Our co-workers will go to hell without Jesus. Our family, our friends, our acquaintances, whatever the relation may be, the people we see at Walmart, or the waitress that's going to wait on us if you're going out to eat this afternoon, they're going to go to hell without Jesus Christ. And you want to know the most hateful thing that we could possibly do? Not tell them. Not tell them about Jesus. Not share the gospel. Not... Not tell them how they can be made right with God. That's the most hateful thing we could possibly do. And if we really believe what this book says about hell and the judgment of God and the gospel, why are we not sharing this? Why are we not telling somebody? Um, this is why Christ had to come. And if God spared not His own Son, you better believe He's not going to spare any of us. Every single person has an eternal soul that will live forever when they die. Either heaven or hell. And I... I don't think that we really even grasp the concept of eternity. Uh, I've heard it said like this, uh, imagine if you were standing on a beach, you're facing the ocean, and as far as you can see to the left and to the right, all you can see is white sandy beaches. And all of a sudden a, a bird, maybe an eagle, let's say an eagle, swoops down and he picks up a grain of sand with his beak, and if he was physically able... To fly that grain of sand all the way to the furthest planet in our universe, Pluto. That's, that's so many light years away. I don't even know how many millions of light years away. It's a long way. But that bird makes his way and he flies and he drops that grain of sand on Pluto and he flies back and he gets another grain of sand from that same beach and he continues that process until every grain of sand on that beach is now on Pluto. You've completed your first hour in eternity. I don't think we grasped I mean, every pain that we feel down here, we have a hope as children of God that it's temporary. I mean, that's where I'm at in our situation with Leah. Because I know, I mean, one of the only comforts that comes when she's as bad as she's been of late is that I know that even if nothing changed in this life, it's still temporary. It's still temporary. That's not true in eternity. That's not true in the lake of fire. And number one, I hope, I hope you're ready. But number two, I, I hope you're telling people. I hope you're sharing the gospel. It's a daily thing in your life. Uh, Paul said, Romans 1 verse 16, that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and a salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, I mean, we need to be handing out tracts. There may be somebody we need to get on the phone with. There may be somebody we need to send an email or a letter to and if we have to, get creative, pray for opportunities. Every situation's not the same. I I think I've shared this a while back, but when I used to work at the textile plant, it was really, really loud. We had these machines that were just super loud. And uh, by OSHA standard, we had to wear hearing protection the whole time we were there. So not only do you have these loud machines, now you've got hearing protection. It's difficult to carry on a real meaningful conversation. So I found creative ways, like I... I hand out Christmas cards one year to every employee in that department, and I had a gospel track in there. And, you, you know, you, just, you have to get creative sometimes. Um, you know, when I drove a school bus, obviously it's hard to have a conversation on a 40-foot-long school bus with a bunch of screaming kids while you're trying down the road and not killing anybody. And so <clears throat> I remember Halloween one year. Um, I handed out, now, as I've said before, it would be really easy to say, well, that's just sinful, we shouldn't do that. How about let's redeem it and do something good with it? And so I used to I would make candy bags to hand out to the kids as they got off, and I had gospel tracks in there. And evidently, somebody got fired up about it because the next day the uh, the foreman who was the transportation foreman who was over the county got on the radio to all the buses at the same time and said, "Just want to remind everybody that we can't be handing out any religious material to the kids." And I'm thinking, I wonder why he would say that. But they got it that time, amen. Um. Um, I, I think about even recently um, I, I, when I t- when we took the kids the church kids to the jump zone, there was a young man by the name of Jose who started talking to me and he was talking about all the kids he had He had like four of his kids there and I said, Well, you got a good crew I said but I got eleven with me and he 's like eleven kids how do you how do you keep your sanity you know and I said well they're church kids you know and so we got to talking, and i and uh, he, he was raised LDS and he said, but he's not in that. He, he never was really into that. And I said, well, living in such a religious place, though, I said, anybody ever share the gospel with you? He said, what's that? So I said, well, let me, let me take two minutes and explain it to you. And I, I shared the gospel with him. I told him about our sinfulness and how Holy God must punish sin and how Jesus Christ came to pay for sin and if we'd repent and believe. And so um, we have to look for these opportunities. I, I recently took, Wesley to the, the Japanese steakhouse over here and we just happened to get sit with this Mormon family and I got to talking to them and they asked what i do for a living and I told them and, and you could tell they wanted to know what the difference between us was and they were kind of fishing for answers and asking questions. I said, well, here's the deal. I said, if you boil every religion in the world down, you don't have two. Works-based religion and grace-based religion. And I explain how works could never please a holy God because good works can never erase broken laws. And I'm sitting here at the Japanese steakhouse, i got six people looking at me. And I took them to the cross, and I took them to salvation by grace through faith. And and so God gives us these opportunities if we're paying attention. Um, But by all means, go and tell. Go and tell. Go, by the way, where it says, go ye into the world, that's an offensive strategy. That's not a defensive one. Some people have got this mentality, well, if somebody brings it up, I might tell them, but I'm never going to go out of my way. That's not biblical. Um, we need to go and tell because the strongest condemnation awaits those that die without Christ. I like what Spurgeon said. He said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Not one. We need to tell not only because we have a command from the king, we need to tell because of the condemnation of those that die without Christ. We need to have that reality ever within our minds. But then thirdly, we ought to tell because of the consolation. Look at verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Now, I really want you to put yourself in the disciples' shoes here they haven't had the greatest track record of doing things really good. They don't have a very good report card. They have failed God. They ran away on crucifixion day. I mean, they've, they've had times where they couldn't heal people because of lack of faith. Like, it's not, it's not looked too well for them up to this point. And now Jesus is getting ready to go to heaven, and they're given the commission to carry on after he's gone. They had to be scared to death. Especially, and think about this. Just, you know, 43 days prior... This same world that they're about to go to nailed their Lord to a cross. They're going to have to go preach to those same people. That sounds like something I want to do. So they're scared to death. And, you know, even though the Gospels don't specify here, I don't think you have to have much of a sanctified imagination to kind of imagine how that conversation went. Um, Lord, um, where are you going and, and what are you going to be doing during this time? What, what are you going to be doing? Lord says, raining. I'm going to be reigning, ruling and reigning from the right hand of God the Father. By the way, this is a fulfillment of Psalm 110 and verse 1. I mentioned that's the most quoted verse in all of Scripture where David said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make thy enemies thy footstool. That is a fulfillment of Psalm 110 and verse 1. And so not only is He reigning, but He is interceding on our behalf. And if we listen if we could hear Christ praying for us we would never be afraid we would never lack any self-worth we would never feel uh, insignificant if we could just hear him praying for us Where where is Christ when life is good and we're on the mountaintop Well he's ruling and reigning from the right hand of the Father Where is Christ when we're in the deepest darkest valleys of life He's ruling and reigning seated at the right hand of the Father Where is Christ in the midst of war and sickness and crashing economies. He's ruling and reigning from the right hand of the Father. Where is Christ when we're afraid to share our faith and we feel like we're going to mess up and perhaps sometimes after we share our faith, we feel like we messed up. Well, He's ruling and reigning from the right hand of the Father. What a consolation to know that He's in control. He is ruling and reigning. We don't have to be afraid. There's nothing that can happen to us that doesn't first pass through the fingers of God, we have absolutely no reason not to be sharing the gospel with people. Because we're commanded to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go and tell. And you say, well, Brother Brandon, I don't really know how to do that. I don't. I want to. I just don't feel like I know. I mean, how do you actually do that? And I think what I'm actually going to do... Is for the next two, possibly three, even Sunday nights. Um, I'm gonna, we're gonna hit pause on Genesis for just a little while longer and then we'll finish it out. But for, starting tonight, next week, and maybe even the week after that on Sunday nights, we're going to talk about that. I'm literally going to train you how to share your faith. There is a biblical formula for it, and it works every time. Not that people get saved every time. But the Word of God always accomplishes its purpose. I've seen it over and over and over and over again, and I want you to know how to do it, and I want you to be comfortable doing it. We're going to uh, look at the different methods. We're going to look at some different arguments that people may counter with because they're all the same. Uh, we're going to break that down. I'm actually, We're actually even going to look at some video clips of people that do it really, really well. And I may actually even show you some of my interactions with people that I've gotten over the years. I have to maybe find the ones where I'm not getting cussed at, but... Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but you'll know how to do it. And uh, so it'll be like a training class, maybe like an apologetics class. And so it's a good thing to come back to church on Sunday nights. You just never know what you're going to miss. But listen, go and tell. D- listen, don't, don't get to the end of your life. Don't, don't go to heaven having not taken anybody with you. Don't, don't go to heaven. Don't look at the end of your life and look back and say, you know what, I didn't tell anybody about Jesus. I didn't, make, I didn't make an eternity's worth of difference in anybody. Shame on us. Shame on us for hoarding the riches of God's grace. We, we're commanded to go and tell because we have a, res, a resurrected Savior and King who's commanded us to do And we're going to stand before Him, give an account for it. God help us to do so. And we live in a country, at least right now, where the worst that could possibly happen to you is somebody give you a bad look Somebody call you a bad name, maybe cuss you out. I, I bet you I bet you the apostles and the early church would have traded for that. Don't you think? I believe they would have. God help us to go and tell a lost and dying world. Would you stand as she comes? <clears throat>